Welcome to the Open Church Podcast, a place for disciples to be made. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Cameron and Robert here with you. Thank you for joining us again. Robert, how are you? What's going on? You're, what's life on the road like? That's what I want to know because you're you're bouncing around the middle of the country almost constantly. So for those who don't know, my wife has a business that does pop-up shops. And so we're bouncing around from state to state, locale to locale. So to give you an idea, this week, right now, we're in Louisiana. This is the closest to quote-unquote home that we get. Uh, we have some property in South Louisiana, about 40 minutes north of New Orleans. And this show is about 50 minutes north of New Orleans. So this is about as close as we get. Then after this, we go to Ohio. Then we go almost to Buffalo, New York. And then we come down to Richmond, Virginia uh, before additional stops. But just to give you an idea of how uh, four weeks will go and how fast paced it is sometimes. So right now I'm recording in a little place called Robert, Louisiana at a RV resort that my grandfather used to live in. He used to have a permanent resident in this exact RV resort. And so it's a little uh, interesting for me. It's a little bit like coming back home. Of course, there's uh, some, uh, how would you even say it, bitter memories in the sense of uh, sadness. My grandfather passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, but there's also very happy memories. I spent a lot of childhood memories in this exact location. So being life on the road, it's so interesting. You never know what week is is going to be like. Uh, you never know week to week how things are going to go. Do the uh, wheels stay on, so to speak? And sometimes that's a literal worry. Uh, but we're really blessed to be able to travel and see a great swath of the country, but also to engage with people at all different levels uh, throughout America. And so whenever we discuss these topics and stuff, it's pretty cool. I get this uh, much broader view than most ministers get because most ministers are, are stuck to, to a location-based ministry. Uh, but with the virtual world that we live in, I get to see so much and interact with uh, thousands and thousands of people that otherwise I wouldn't be able to. Well, God bless you because that is not for me. That's that's what I know. And in fact, I was just telling Robert off the air, so to speak, that uh, I have my my very quiet, boring, predictable suburb life, and that's what works for me. You know, so it's <laughs> it's good for me to be be local and to be part of a, a single church and and just doing things in the community. But I guess that just goes to show we all have our our strengths and weaknesses. But. Uh, um, in any event, what are we talking about today? Why don't you Why don't you introduce uh, introduce this for us? Well, I would love to. So, uh, when we're actually recording this, not necessarily when it's released, we're about two weeks into, however you want to frame it, but basically what's happening between Russia and Ukraine, and I'll put it that way, just for the sake of argument, because the real the real idea of this podcast is let's talk biblically about the scriptures and about topics. And I just couldn't get away from uh, what is biblical justice. It's a, it's a terminology that has been chasing me, if you will, 
for years at this point. Um, I remember for me when there was this heavy black life movement stuff going on. And um, for those who don't know, I'm a Caucasian white guy. Uh, I'm a Cajun. I'm from a minority group, but that's hardly applicable these days. People don't really see it that way. But uh, I remember being asked to speak on social justice was the hot term then. And of course, there's nothing that I can speak on of whether it be political, whether it be emotional, uh, whether it be current events. There's nothing that I can speak on that I I must first go to the biblical view of something. And the reason why I say that is because it's so easy to have your patriotic blood flow through you if you feel like somebody is attacking your nation. Uh, It's so easy to have a certain point of view of what's going on. Sometimes it's been called race wars. There's lots of different terminology there, but there it's so easy to get caught up in the moment and forget that God has answers to these things and he's written them in stone (laughs) at some of these things, but they're written for us and they're, they're there for us to discover and to pray over. And so as people who say that we're Christians, as people who say that we believe in God and in Jesus Christ and the, his word, uh, then we must take his view on things, including terminology like justice. And so the whole entire idea of this episode is what is biblical justice? And I'm glad you let me uh, take the first bat, the first bat, so to speak in this one, because I want to know for you, Cameron, whenever I even use the terminology, biblical justice, I want to know what's your idea. Where do you stand right now? What is biblical justice? Well, as I read about this, um, this topic and other, other topics, and particularly with a focus on the social world of the Bible, I think what I've come to realize, even though I don't have a, perfectly solidified understanding of this yet is that my modern Western conception of justice is in certain ways significantly different than what the Bible describes as justice. And specifically what I've, what I've been looking at is the, this, this fact that we mentioned last time, which is that the, the the world of the Bible in the first century um, was a collectivist society. And I don't mean like in a communist kind of a sense, but it was collective in the sense that your identity was tied to your position in your group. So everyone like today, it's kind of sexy to be like, I'm a rebel and, you know, fight the man and rage against the machine. That was, that was not how they thought at the time, you know, like your identity was who's my dad or where am I from and, and what role do I play in society? And I think that really deeply influenced, um, their, their sense of justice as well. And I think the, the, the most striking example of that is is how punishment was often conducted. So in a society like that, it wouldn't have been, and this speaks to the atonement too, by the way, since we talked about that last week, but, but the idea of punishing the group collectively in some sense would not have been uh, unheard of. And, and I have an anecdote that we can talk about in a second, but the idea would have been that they punished crimes. They didn't necessarily punish criminals and, and the way they thought of, um, 
the way they thought of that concept was, uh, this is how, this is like the price that we pay for a civilized society is that everyone bears a certain responsibility, a certain amount of responsibility for everyone else's behavior. And, um, so I'll stop there, but I think that is an interesting place to, to at least look at some of the passages we're going to look at. Absolutely. So for me, whenever I, uh, you know, how do we define justice? How do we look at justice? And just kind of looking through uh, one of the resources I, I brought in this this week uh, for myself was the Oxford English Dictionary, OED Online. Uh, if you are part of a university system, you probably have free access to it through your library. Um, if you are not, there are some free versions of it you can look at. But the full thing is behind a university paywall, usually. But the reason why I bring it up is it had if if you go and you start digging into the weeds of the Oxford English Dictionary, it has these words and these terms, and their whole entire purpose is trying to trace it down through time and how we use it. And of course, in the English language, and the word justice. And it's really interesting whenever you go and you try to figure out, okay, how are they using justice at any time? Is it a noun or is it a verb? And the reason why I bring any of this up is because whenever we're talking about a word, we have to realize, just like you you said just a moment ago, the idea of biblical justice and of the times of these writings is, and in any type of terminology, could be vastly different than the type of word that, or the type of understanding of the word that we use today. Just to give you a quick example, if you look up a basic definition of justice, you have just behavior or treatment. treatment. Uh, and then, of course, there's another definition right under it, a judge or magistrate. <laughs> doesn't really speak to how I'm looking at biblical justice, except God being judge. But I find it so interesting that even in justice, whenever we're defining it, we say just behavior or treatment. And the really interesting thing in a secular understanding of justice, what is just? What defines just behavior or just treatment of other people? And I think that's a good jumping off point whenever you're talking about biblically how does that greatly differ than the biblical understanding of what justice truly is? So you had talked about an antidote, uh, maybe some thoughts you had on that subject and love to dig in if you want to jump off right there at that point. The Sure. Sure. Well, this is um, the anecdote and it's, it's, it's just really interesting to read, but it's from uh, a scholar named Gary Rensberg who, who is or was, I don't know if he's retired or if he's still still with us, but he was a professor of Jewish studies at Cornell University. And he's talking about a research team in Iraq in 1931. Um, so they're driving around Iraq in a Jeep. And every time they would come back to their camp for the night, <clears throat> they would wake up the next morning and the Jeep was flipped upside down. So they flipped the, the Jeep back every day. <laughs> and the next day they woke up and it was flipped upside down again. So they went to the... Uh, the, the equivalent of the mayor, it's it's got a different term in Iraq, but they say, someone's flipping over our Jeep. What do we do about this? And he says, don't worry, I'm going to handle this. So they come back the next day and he points to someone's house on the hill 
And he says, you see that house over there? And they're, they're like, yeah. He's like, okay, we, we, we messed up that house pretty good. And the, and the, the researchers go, Oh, did, uh, are they the ones that did it? And, and the mayor responds, no, but they're going to find out who did. And, and I think that goes to the point that I was making earlier, namely that as a society, someone else took the blame for, for someone else's crime. And then collectively it became everyone's incentive to, to stop that from happening. And from that point on, the Jeep wasn't flipped over anymore. So I, there's, there's a couple of things that we might be able to take from that. And you can, you can correct me if I make any mistakes along the way. But I, I think what's very striking is that everyone had a sense of what was right and wrong in that culture, um, which was very similar to the, the social world of the Bible in the first century. Like everyone seemed to have like, like even today, I think we would still know this, but everyone in that little society, they knew that, you know, you have visitors in your town, don't flip over their, their car. <laughs> and if you do, that's bad for all of us. Um, and so I think that is probably a major difference between then and now meaning like today, and I'll take a swing at answering your question. I think today when most people think of justice, they think of, um, you know, you do you, I do me and, and I, I don't hurt you, I guess. Right. Like I'm not going to do anything to you. You don't want to be done to you. Um, but at the same time I get to do what I want and you don't get to tell me because, you know, I, I, you know, I'm living my best life, that, that kind of a thing. Um, and I think everyone's guilty of that. I don't think this is a this is a partisan issue. I don't think it's political. I think everybody, when you get down to it, when you think about how you live your life individually today, you sort of take that approach, maybe even without consciously recognizing that you're doing it. Um, so, so let's start. Let's start with that. I think that's an important distinction. What, what are your thoughts? So I love I love where we're we're jumping in here, kind of looking at a Western mindset. Uh, "Quote unquote Eastern mindset" in the in the term of Middle Eastern, of course, where the Bible is set, and then I, I, I it just leads me to the question and the thought: What is God's definition of justice? And at that point, jumping in to some scriptures that actually talk about justice. So we have these kind of not quite conflicting ways of looking at it from the Western and the Middle Eastern point of view. Um, I don't think any, I don't think either is necessarily a pure way of looking at it, of course, because in both examples, you have a societal norm that is almost dictating what justice is. And then of course, if we actually go to the biblical scriptures, God steps in and God says, wait, no, I, I determine what justice is. So real quick, before we, we jump in, and I just want to give a couple of, couple of notes here, as far as you could look up in Genesis, uh, even earlier than this, but eight Genesis 18, 19, uh, Deuteronomy 33, 21. If you start looking at where either the term just or justice starts being used early on biblically, and then you go to a biblical dictionary uh, where it's tracing down word origin. What you will find is justice is directly tied to righteousness. In fact, righteousness actually comes first before justice. 
and, and the idea of how language has been shaped. So the reason why I say that, because I think it's so important to realize, and, and part of the reason why I, I brought up the Oxford English Dictionary is to talk about how we use English and how it changes. We have to realize that the Hebrew language started somehow and then they kept adding words and terminology to it to try to make their understanding clearer, more concise, if you will. And so that's a pretty big connection I think we need to make early on is that justice, biblically speaking, how God defines it is directly tied to righteousness. And whenever you start to understand it in that terminology, then you get to ask the question, okay, what is biblical justice leads to the idea of what is biblical righteousness? And that gets pretty early on. I know you were looking at some other scriptures as well that mention justice or some ideas of justice. If you want to bring any of those up, I'd, I'd love to hear those. I want to get to those definitely, but I think along the lines of what you're talking about, I think this is one of the ones that we you referenced uh, offline to me. It's I think it's first chapter of Isaiah <clears throat> um, one seventeen, maybe you, you'll have to double check that, but it's, it's God speaking through Isaiah and he's saying, you didn't do all of these things that I told you you should do. You didn't take care of the widow and you didn't take care of the, the word is sojourner, but I think it would be the equivalent of like someone passing through your society who is not a member of your group. Um, you didn't take care of these people. You didn't take care of the widows. You didn't take care of the poor, but, but in other words, I think it's interesting because it's the negative of what you're saying. It's, it's God saying, I, I prescribed, excuse me. I prescribed very clear behaviors for you that are not based on who you are or where you're from or what you look like, uh, or what, you know, what, what your views are. I, I made this whole thing and I told you, this is what you're supposed to do. And you didn't do that. And now there's some consequences. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. and it's really, it's really powerful. I think first and foremost, because it's, it's objective. There is no, well, yeah, but you know, I think differently there, there's nothing like that. Whereas today, I think it's much more common to say, well, you know, we have our, you know, we have our own views of, of right and wrong. And that's, that's, that's clearly not the case if we're speaking in a biblical sense. Well, and I love, and I'll just, the direct reference for the sake of making sure people know, Isaiah one seventeen. so everything you said leads up to God starting to tell them like how to get back on tr- track. There, There's this beautiful thing in Isaiah one sixteen: wash yourselves, cleanse yourself, remove your evil deeds from my sight. A direct linkage to baptism right there. Stop doing evil. And then one seventeen, Isaiah one seventeen that you were talking about, learn to do what is good pursue justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And of course, uh, this is CSB I'm reading out of. Other translations might use slightly different language uh, because this is more an idea verse. God is getting exactly to what you're saying. This is not subjective. This is not your idea of what is righteous. This is not you out for the gain of yourself. This is righteousness. This is justice as defined by my righteousness. And I just find it so interesting that Isaiah 116 has a direct reference 
of the idea that later becomes known as baptism in the New Testament. Yeah, we'll have to talk another time about all of the the references in the Old Testament that show up again in the New Testament and uh, examples <laughs> so of uh, yeah, there's examples of prophecy that are that are so strikingly specific that uh, we'll, we'll talk about another time. But people have basically uh, done all kinds of footwork, interpretively speaking, to try to get around this. But but we'll talk about that another time. Um, to follow up on what you actually said. <laughs> um, what what I also think is interesting is that in the in the biblical narrative, and I think I think this is throughout the Old and New Testaments, the emphasis the emph- emphasis is on redemption, like over and over and over and over and over, the Israelites are are given an opportunity to uh, to atone for their sins and and to come back, right? especially in in the book of Judges is a great example where like almost every chapter ends with. Um, Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Nobody followed the the way of the Lord or so, something like that. The wording's different depending on your translation. Um, but my point is that throughout the text, there's an emphasis on redemption. You can there's a way out of this. It's it's not going to be forever, but I'm going to help you get out of this. And here's exactly what you need to do to get out of this. And of course, um, that shows up again in the New Testament with with Jesus. But I think today we don't think of it as much. That way, I think it's it's a lot more um, abusive is the wrong word, but maybe maybe punitive is a better word. Where like, um, and it doesn't matter what what your perspective is. Some people will say like, you did a crime, you're going to do the time, bud. You're going, you know, you're going to prison for decades, or you know, there's that kind of a take. And then on on perhaps on the other side of the spectrum, there will people there will be people who will say, uh, you know, even if you apologize for something wrong you said in public or something you did that was wrong, um, there's nothing you can do. You're you're part of a class of people who we have deemed inherently evil in some way. And so I think I think that's striking that in the modern world you have people on on opposite sides of different issues who generally view punishment the same way, whereas in the Bible you have behavior that's clearly condemned over and over, but the emphasis is on you can make it right, and and I want you to make it right. But uh, but jump in there. What 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 are your thoughts on that dichotomy? I think I think there's there's a strong way of looking at it because just kind of following up where you went with Isaiah one seventeen, I'm just going to spout off a couple of verses. Uh, Proverbs twenty one fifteen I think is really powerful. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. You talk about the best way to correct evil doing in a society let justice be done. Amos 5, 20, 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever flowing stream. Uh, what a powerful image. And then one that's quoted quite often um, in some circles, Micah 6, 8. Uh, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, that's a one that's really powerful to me. It's a reminder to me because, you know, you're, you're in this, this world and even, and, and we're both American, you know, of USA, you know, we call ourselves Americans like we own the whole continent. Um, but you know, we're both, uh, us citizens. We're, we're, we're both kind of have this, uh, American Western perspective and it gets, easy to forget 
some biblical precepts and, and, and concepts and and how God wants us to act, because we also have societal norms that we're up against. We want a comfortable life, of course, uh, but we also we want our rights. We want our freedoms. We think on a very uh, individual basis, and that's not a pure thought. There's also collectivism in America. But the reason why I say all of this is because Micah 6.8 is a great reminder to me once again, just just reading it uh, for us to kind of think of what does the Lord want of us? So if, if justice is directly t- tied to righteousness, is already proven, and righteousness is defined by God, then God is the one who gets to require of us. And what is that? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. But boy, humble and uh, pick yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thinking, those kind of sometimes go opposite of each other. And even the idea of kindness, there's almost this idea of if you're too kind, you're too weak. Um, And so even in our modern society that I think scholarly people would would say is post-Christian, although many Christians would argue we're still a Christian nation. But whatever you want to view on that one, even in the society that has been dominated by Christian thought for its existence, has somehow wound up on the opposite side, in many cases, of these scriptural mandates, of these scriptural ideas. And that's why I love these questions. Like we talked last time, what is the gospel? This time, what is justice? What is biblical justice? And I, and I love that because there is this sometimes missing the mark of our societal norms that I think sometimes we just need to stop and actually think through uh, these concepts. I think one thing that I love so much about reading my Bible every day now, after after years of not doing that, you know, I grew up a pastor's kid and I, I, I just was in the club because of how, you know, the family I was born into. <laughs> this is the this is the hazy thinking that you can you can fall into if you're not careful. But anyways, now now that I'm reading my Bible every day, I think what I love is that it's so specific in what it what it talks about, what it requires of us what, what God expects of us. And, uh, here's the, one of the verses I was talking about that I told you about it's, uh, James two fourteen, And it says, what good is it? My brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save them? So suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not a, not accompanied by action, is dead. Now that's a that's a whole messy exegetical debate we can get into at some point, I'm sure. But I think what's interesting about that passage is it speaks very specifically to this is what you're supposed to be doing, and if you if you have the faith you claim to have, you're going to do these things. And I um I felt 
convicted of this in a sense, not, not by reading this passage. I actually found this afterwards, which, which is kind of, uh, kind of interesting in, in itself. But one thing I noticed is like, after I, after I came back to church and I really said, I believe this now, like this is, I'm going to define my life by this. It like personally in my life, like if you go to the, you know, everyone knows this experience, you go to the drugstore, you go to the convenience store and there's a homeless guy out in front. And what's, what's the, what's the one thing everyone has said at least one time in their lives. If you live in the West and, or in the U S more specifically, Oh, I don't have any change. I don't have any cash. Sorry, bro. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but one of the things, one of the things I started doing, cause I felt, I felt really convicted about it was like, if someone came up to me and they're like, Hey, I'm really hungry. I'd be like, okay, you want to, you want a burger or something? And, and they kind of look at you like quizzically, they're like, wait a minute, really? You're going to, you're going to do it. I'm like, yeah. So, you know, I would go in and buy whatever I was going to buy. And then I would just buy them some food or buy them a soda or, or whatever. And it's not, it's not to get points or gold stars. That's not my point. My point is that like, I wanted to live out my faith at this point in my life now. And, and there's all, there's all other kinds of examples, but you know, like, like you're checking out and they're like, would you like to round up your, you know, round up your, your total two bucks and donate to the red cross or whatever. Now, now the answer is always yes. And it, it may, it feels good and not, you know, not in the sense of like, I'm so, I'm so high and mighty, but, but I think about, it and I go, man, you know, this is really going to help somebody, you know, over time, you know, the more people that do this, it makes a difference in the world. Really. It's not, it's not a matter of like, well, I voted for the right guy and he's going to, you know, put in the right policies. I think that it is quite, a, quite a, an, a, an important excuse for people these days. But, but in terms of like your personal direct behavior that you can do in the community, but, uh, but your, your, your thoughts, what, I mean, you've, you're, you've been a pastor for, for many years now. I mean, what's your perspective on this when you're, when you're teaching people? Well, just kind of a direct reference to what you're talking about. I find it so interesting that we started this and we're talking about the collectivism of societal thinking of, of biblical contextualization. And yet there's also, if you read through these passages, there's there's still the individual responsibility of justice. It's just it's not just collectivism. And so as a pastor, directly kind of going to what you're you're talking about there, my idea is my job as a pastor is to stir up the hearts of those who claim Christ as their own to live out his, his word, his life, which is poured into us, which we should be pouring into others uh, around us. And it's so, it's so interesting how we compartmentalize so much of our life to the point where it becomes very easy you know, you talk about the thing that everybody says to the guy asking for change. Oh, I don't have any cash. Uh, guilty as charged there. But there's also the, why don't you just get a job? Or why don't they just get a job? And there's some of them, you know, each situation's different. And I don't really want to get into the weeds on that. But what I want to say is this tendency of dismissing that's where I think we get into the real trouble that we become automatic in our dis dismissal of people, of ideas, of thoughts. 
instead of taking the time to actually think through. So to give you an example, something a little more concrete, one of my favorite things living life on the road uh, so often is you come all, you come across all kinds of different people, uh, different walks of life. And when it is possible, um, if there's somebody in need, what we always try to do is we meet the need, but we also will sit down, take some time to actually talk to the person. They don't always want it. I remember this one time, Elizabeth, my wife, got dog food uh, for this homeless traveling person with a dog and offered to just kind of sit down and and chat. And he didn't really want that, but he was very appreciative of the dog food. And so not every time do they even want or require a, a chat, but then there's other times where we've done this little small thing for a person. And then all of a sudden they're telling us our life story and we're able to minister. And so that's what I mean by like taking the time to really think through the individual situations you find yourself in. So for you, you're taking the time to say yes to rounding up or, or, you know, those kind of things. Um, But for somebody else, it may, there, there's maybe like you actually go and have a meal with the person and have a conversation. But I think biblically speaking, part of justice, part of righteousness is truly trying to see through the eyes of God what he wants done with his creation. What do you think about that? Well, it sounds like it's right on the money to me. I mean, you're the you're the expert between the two of us, but the 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 running theme so far and what we talked about last time was that um there's more to the gospel than uh you know, I just, you know, I want to I want to be good so I can go to heaven, right? It's again, that's that individualized thinking and I think what we're talking about here is you you live it out you know this is about this is about um writing our collective ship if you will about making the world right with god again and so the way that happens is all of us going out and actually doing it and i think i think that's what james is getting at in that passage um and, and to the point that if you're not doing it then you're not who you say you are i think that's a, a striking end uh to that verse um you know what I'm saying? So, and and again, the examples I gave are are really minor, but I think that the impact can be significant. Like like you said, sometimes people will sit down with you and they'll they'll just tell you everything about everything they've ever experienced. Um, but I think even if you do something small and you don't get a chance to flip open your Bible and you know re- read the Gospel of Matthew to people, I think it's it can be planting a seed. And I and I uh, I th- I think of a band that I really like. the The lead singer was an interview. It, he was, you know, doing an interview recently and, uh, they're, they're a Christian band. And so he, he always gets asked about like, uh, you know, what, like, how do you see yourselves in the culture and, and what are you trying to do? Um, and he said, I'm just, I'm just planting seeds. <laughs> and I, he said, you know, I get up there, we write the best music we can. It's got a positive message. It appeals to a lot of people, but they might hear and he, and he tells people, or he said that people have come up to him and said, you know, I, I had the gun in my mouth and then your song came on the radio and, and that gave me, that gave me the strength I needed to get through another day. And then 
you know, a month later I got invited to church and, and my life's never been the same. So all that to say, you might do something very small, but that could be the start of something that, that really does change somebody's life. And I, and I think that's, that's part of us not having the full picture all the time and not perfectly understanding the way the world works. Well, and that's the beauty of this. So going back to that Isaiah 1, 16 and 17, talking about, you know, this repentant attitude and then the, the follow up, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. What I want to get to to there, we, we live in, there's this idea of free grace and the idea of basically you you say i follow jesus and sing kumbaya almost that's not i mean that's an oversimplification and people can fuss at me for that one and i'm okay with that however there's been a fight for hundreds of years in the protestant church and and the church at large about god's grace being quote unquote free grace and i know where they're coming from because there's also the opposite side where uh, certain ways of the church living out Christendom, and I'll leave those terminologies right there on purpose, was to all these additional requirements that came around, which basically went right back to the pharisaical way of thinking. You've got to do this, 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 and this to be okay with God. Well, Jesus came specifically to free us from that. However, whenever we use the term free grace these days, what we have basically done is cheapened grace. And the reason why I say that is because whenever we're talking about the idea of justice, it becomes so easy to forget that Justice requires action. That's why I keep going back to Isaiah 117, but I want to bring it to Jesus's words. I think it would be remiss of us not to cover Jesus's words in many of the topics that we're going to talk about because he's the master, right? So in Matthew 12, and I'm, and I'm just taking a segment of this. So please go back and reread everything. If, if you're listening to this and you want better context, but for the sake of time, Matthew 12, 36, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, this is why I'm bringing up this particular scripture right now. Whenever we're talking about what is biblical justice, how does God define justice? We also need to realize this. Free grace is free. There's nothing that we could do to save ourselves. But once we say, yes, I believe that you are who you say you are, Jesus, then it becomes a requirement of us to seek him out, to go after him, to learn his ways. And so what this triggers me to and I know we're running a little short. We don't want to have these super, super long, but I have one more thing I want to want to go to, but I want to kind of get your idea first, Cameron. What is your idea, not of 
heaven as lived out. But there, there's some debate in this, but when you die or when all the saints are gathered together at one time and you stand before the throne of God, I mean, how do you envision that? I really struggle with that, to be honest, because I have no idea. I was, um, I was thinking about, I was thinking about this just the other, the other day. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's having kids or getting older, but you start to think a lot about like what happens after you die. Even, even, even if you are a Christian, you know, you think of, like, like, what is, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And I, I just don't know. And I, and the reason I say that is because there's things that I know intellectually are true. Like, for example, to give a real uh, banal example, I know there's a place called Japan. I know it literally exists, but I've never seen it. If I was to look at it from an airplane, I, I wouldn't know that that was Japan. I was just like, oh, that's, you know, chain of islands, whatever. Um, so in other words, there's lots of things that literally physically exist right now that I've never seen. I probably never will see. And I don't know how to envision what 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 it's like to be there or what certain events will be like. And so to talk about the end, I just, I don't, I don't really know. You, you know what I mean? So I don't mean to evade the question in any sense. I just mean that the, the Bible, I mean, it's clear about what's coming, but there isn't a clear description of like what everything's going to be like. You know, you know what I'm saying? I, I do. And the reason why I asked you that, and it was a bit of setting, setting myself up to, to kind of hit to the kind of last thing I wanted to talk about and anything that you might as well. But I think it's often forgotten because we have caged the gospel in the terms of heaven and hell. Where are you going? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Free grace, like we talked about, all these different things. And of course, that's why I brought up Matthew 12 just a minute ago. It's not free grace. We are going to be held accountable. But I think oft what's missed, and this is direct from the Bible, Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the Holy Spirit, the new Jeru- uh, the Holy Sir- City, I'm so sorry, uh, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, that is plural, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And verse 4 is where I really want us to get the idea. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. So why I want to bring that up is right there in verse 4. He will wipe away our tears. And I've given great thought, and of course Matthew 12 is directly related to this. There's this theme of accountability throughout Scripture right there. Why would we be crying at this day? We will be crying. If you pair this with, with Matthew 12, I think it becomes really clear. Because in perfect knowledge, we will know all the times that we were unjust, unrighteous. 
Because as we're living through life, yeah, there are times like we're doing this podcast, there's times at church, and there's times even during the week where where kind of the Holy Spirit gets through and we like realize, okay, maybe I should have said that differently. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe um, there should have been a different action. And because God is just, He is righteous, then it is required in His righteousness that He sets everything to right. And I believe wholeheartedly we will know the full price of redemption for each and every single one of us. Yes, it is the death of Jesus Christ. But by that, I look at my life and I see the times that I wish I could take back, the things that I've said and done that I know were wrong, unjust, unrighteous. And there's actually great peace for me in this because I've repented. I have the grace of God over over me, and I absolutely attempt to not trip up in the same way again, although I'm constantly tripping. And there will be a day where I stand before God, and He reveals my life perfectly for what it was. And as I start to weep, realizing all the times that I was unjust, unrighteous to my fellow man, to God himself and his righteousness, to myself. We talked about this whenever we, we talked about being love. Part of loving God is letting him reveal to us the love he has for us and starting to see ourselves in that light, right? So that every time that I'm too hard on myself or too critical, I am actually unjust to myself. But there will be a day where all of that is revealed. And then my master will wipe away my tears. And interestingly enough, if you combine it with other pieces of scripture, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, for those of us who choose to follow Jesus. And uh, complete justice will be done, because in the places that we have failed it, grace has prevailed. And for me, that is a beautiful picture because I don't have to be perfect and I'm not going to be. But somehow the God of the universe takes all of this and in Revelation, we see him bring it to a beautiful close, so to speak. And that's just the beginning of eternity. <laughs> I just wanted to let that hang there for a second, because that's the essence of it. And I don't think there's anything else that either of us could say. Because, because that's what it all culminates to. So I'll just leave it there and then, you know, everyone can listen to this and, and absorb that because there's a lot of, a lot of content in, you know, this last two minutes, what you're saying. So um, let's stop there. And then why don't, why don't you do what we did last week and, and point people to a, a few scriptures that, that might be a good jumping off point to investigate this, this concept of biblical justice a little better. That last piece was straight out of Revelation 21. Um, 
specifically one through four is where I was referencing from. I think that's a great place for someone to start to get that picture. Uh, we referenced it several times, which was, of course, Isaiah uh, 1, 16 and 17, I think are great places to begin with the idea of justice in God's eyes. The most quoted, I think, scripture in all the Bible about justice is Micah 6, 8, uh, which is do justice, uh, love mercy, walk humbly with your God is the is how it's often translated. And then you had several times referenced, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's James 2.14, correct? Yes, that's correct. So those are great as far as the actual scriptures themselves. I think those are great places to jump off. Any others you'd want to mention there? I, I think those are those are all good scripture references. I would um if I can recommend another book, and this one's this one's actually free. Um it's by a, a theologian named R.C. Sproul, who uh who passed away a few years ago, sadly. Um but he he wrote a whole series of books. It's it's called like the the building block series or the foundation series or something. They're all on Amazon. Um, but the one I have in mind, it's called uh, "How Can I Be Right with God?" And and it it covers a lot of the a lot of the material we're talking about because especially that last little bit that you were that you were talking about. Um, because I you know there is a there is a lot of guilt. And a lot of a lot of reflecting on our own behavior and feeling you know feeling bad about it. Um, but anyways, I, I won't I won't go into another diatribe. But I would just recommend that book. It's totally free. You can get the ebook online. Um, How can I be right with God? And it, it's it's excellent. Any almost anything R.C. Sproul writes is pretty good. But but that's that's my suggestion for the week. Well, that is awesome. It's also great that it's free, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, books are expensive. But anyways, uh, we'll, we'll stop there. Um, and I think, I think shortly we'll have we'll have some social media and some places to direct you guys to find out a little bit more about the show and more about what what we actually do and so forth. But but we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for listening, and of of course we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Open Church Podcast. For more information or how to engage, please visit us at openchurchonline.com. We'd also like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, beawesomereadbooks.com. Be awesome, read books.com.